Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing in the room today? Everybody good? So good to see all of you guys here in the room. Those of you out in the lobby, thanks for hanging with us. And those of you who are online at home, uh, welcome to our church. Welcome to our church family. We're so glad you're there with us, worshiping with us. And for any of you who will see this as a pod or hear this as a podcast or listen to the, or watch this, ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Somehow, some way, wherever you see us, hear us, thank you. Thank you for being here. Come on, it's just not, it's not just me that the allergies are coming down like the oak. It's, just, it's like a succession of bad things that come and breathe up our air. And uh, so struggling today a little bit, but I'm going to fight my way through it. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. And if you're a guest with us today here in the room or watching for the first time online, uh, just thank you, man. I don't know how else to say it. Thank you for being with us. It's such an honor. It's such an honor. Uh, for us to have you with us here, and we never take it for granted, and so thank you for being here with us. Easter is coming uh, two Sundays from today, and um, this series that we're involved right now in is just about, it's kind of like Advent is for Christmas. We're just kind of preparing our hearts and preparing our lives and going through the story again, reminding ourselves of why all of this matters so, so much, and we would love it. We would love it if you would help us by being a bringer, by being an inviter. There's cards in your chair there. Pass that out to somebody. Invite some family and friends. We have eight gatherings uh, for the Easter weekend, two on Friday, 6 and 7.30, uh, two on Saturday, 6 and 7.30, and then our normal four here uh, on Sunday. And we got a little crazy, and we got a tent coming out on the front just in case, just in case. You never know. You never know what's going to happen. Um, but every week here, even when it's not like our prime time year, January, February, August, September is when churches get fuller. You don't know that maybe, but that's when they get fuller. And then everybody's like, eh, I'm going to go back to my old ways. <clears throat> and, uh, but, but except for you guys, uh, you're here right in the middle of March. Uh, spring break disrupts everybody. And then they're like, oh, I'll get back in the fall. And, uh, but you're here. So we uh, often need extra room. Uh, some of you parked in the grass today. I'm sorry, we're going to get that fixed. Uh, we're working on a new parking lot now again. This is our third edition. So we're just going to keep going until the whole thing is just dirt um, and, and, and flowers. Come on, we got some great flowers out there. Uh, be a bringer. And uh, we, we, we'd encourage you, if you're, this is home, if LifePoint's home, work one and worship one. Friday, just real quickly, Friday is Good Friday. That Friday is Good Friday. And we will also, at the end of that gathering, have uh, communion together and we'll remember the cross uh, in great detail. And so we would love it if you would join us. If that's one, you want to wor wor work one or, or worship one, that's, that's the only slight variation. All the other gatherings are exactly the same. Um, we're, we're in this series where we're looking at the last words of Jesus. The words, um, I should say the last words of Jesus before he died. Um, he resurrected and he did so, a lot more talking. Come on, everybody. But um, the words that he spoke literally from the cross and, um, and, and really, these are words um, that remind us what to do when you're having a really bad day. When you're going through a really hard time in your life, when you're going through a hard stretch in life, there's much to learn from these words because Jesus uh, is experiencing his worst day ever. I want to take you to Mark's gospel. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. We always love it when you bring your actual Bibles and you take notes. Uh, it's just a valuable thing. It's a valuable practice, a discipline that you, if you do it, you'll, you'll be glad you did. Mark chapter 15. The Bible says at noon, everybody say at noon. 
Okay, so just so you know what we're reading here, Jesus has been, was crucified at 9 a.m. This is three hours in. Okay, just get that picture in your head. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until when? Three in the afternoon. So three more hours um, of all of this going on, but now we add in the darkness He's experiencing his worst day ever on what we now call Good Friday. Not so good for him in those moments. Um, We know that he was betrayed by one of his closest friends, his own followers, Judas. There was, he was arrested by a contingent of the temple guard and the leaders of the temple. They had a sham trial where Pilate said, I find no fault in him and yet convicted him to die anyways. He was um, beaten, both with a rod on his back, with a, with a, with a, with a whip on his back that tore open his back, but also um, we learned that there, the, the soldiers beat his head with a, a, a rod. Um, they plucked his beard out. Um, he was made to carry his own torture device par- partially up the hill before someone else jumps in. And then he gets crucified between two actual bad guys. And if all of that wasn't quite enough, while hanging there on the cross for three hours, the lights go out, the sky grows dark, the sun goes away, probably some sort of massive eclipse that left them in complete darkness. And so as if things couldn't get any worse, they do. You ever felt that way before? Like you're like, bro, it cannot get worse than this. And then, come on, it does, right? And this is what Jesus is experiencing at a whole different level than you and I will ever. Three hours of torture in front of the crowds, in front of the jeering, mocking crowds, in front of soldiers taking his garments and dividing them up and casting lots for them. There's his mother, there's his dear friend as he's hanging there naked from the cross and then the lights go out. And there in the darkness for three hours, Jesus hangs. And then at the end of the dark period, he makes a statement that I think all of us can relate to on some level. In fact, of all the things that he says, this is probably the one that if you've lived a while, you can relate to this the most. By the way, this is a heavy teaching today. There's no way I cannot make this one heavy, all right? Mark 15, verse 34, and at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. This is Aramaic. Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. Sorry, you got to say that like that. That's the only light moment you get, right? You're welcome. Which is translated, Mark translates this for us. My God, my God, why have you, say this with me, why have you forsaken me? Now before we get into the lesson that Jesus, I think, is, can teach us here, Let's point out this fact. Up, up until this point in the narrative, um, the, the story has focused on the physical suffering of, of, of the crucifixion, of, of all of the, the horrible, torturous things they did to him. And, and just so we're clear, what we just read, six hours, six horrifyingly long hours have passed since they nailed his, his wrists and his feet to that cross. The crowds have jeered and mocked. Darkness has covered the land. And now suddenly after a long silence comes this anguished cry 
from the depths of our Savior's soul. Now, the words, um, as you can see here, are an Aramaic-tinged version of Psalm 22. In fact, if you were to really want to understand this text, you should go read all of Psalm 22, which is David using this same sort of messianic words to describe this moment here. And, and Matthew uh, and, and Mark are, have both offered a translation for us so that um, the, the Gentile readers who would read this would be able to understand it. But they also clearly want us to know the exact words that he said in the, the language that he spoke them. And I think what we're seeing and what we're hearing here in these words of, of Jesus that he borrows from this thousand-year-old psalm at, at the time of his death is, is the anguish, not of his body now, we've already seen that, but now of his soul, of his heart. Right? This isn't the cry of physical pain, but of emotional soul level pain, right? The cry of somebody who feels abandoned and forsaken, of someone who feels like the entire world has lined up against him. But in the case of Jesus, it's, it's, he says it's God who has forsaken him, his father. And, and there's a part of us, when I read this story, there's a part of me that wants to go, hey, Jesus, even though it's happened a long time ago, it's like it's so real, like it's gonna be okay, you know, it's, it's all going to be all right as though he doesn't already know that. Come on, somebody, right? But, but see, li- life doesn't work that way, does it? Right? When, 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 when you're in a season of life that is difficult, you only get to go one chapter at a time. When you're in the middle of your story, nobody, nobody knows how to tell you how it's going to end. And so we will walk, if we walk at all, we will walk by faith. We have to believe in the hard moments, in the dark moments, like Jesus is experiencing here, that God will, in fact, come through for us in one way or another. But, but in those moments of pain, we find, I think this is true, that brokenness always brings a kind of loneliness. Have you experienced this? That sense that nobody knows where I'm at, nobody knows what I'm going through, nobody's feeling what I'm feeling? There's nothing, I would argue, there's nothing like the loneliness that comes with brokenness. And I think that's what we're seeing with these words of Jesus, the cry of someone whose heart has been broken in pieces. And and now, we need to just pause here for a minute. Like, we want to hurry through the hard stuff in life, especially in the West, in American culture. We want to hurry through the hard stuff and, and get to the happy ending. But we have to linger here in this moment for a moment. Because in this world that you and I live in, we are just like the people who, who were there at, on this day watching this go down who love Jesus. They don't know what's going to happen like we do, like we can see now. They're just there in the moment. They have to wait, and they have to wonder, and they have to mourn that their Savior is dying, and he does die. Just like you and I have to wait in our stories. We don't get to fast forward to the end of the pain. We have to wait in it, and we have to wonder in it, and we have to mourn and grieve in it. We have not reached the end of our story, and we don't get to see the end when we're in the middle. I wish we did, but we don't. We need to be honest about our lives. Sometimes life doesn't go the way We wanted it to. And sometimes brokenness comes early on. 
We see children who are born and who grow up wanting to be loved and celebrated and seen and, and heard and, and it never happens for them in their homes. They, they live in a dark place where home is not safe and it's a place of hurt and, and neglect and, and abuse where abandonment is part of the story. And then there are, there are few pains that come on a human being like the feelings, the pain of abandonment. Sometimes brokenness comes later in life if you lived a while, you know this is true. Maybe for a long time in your life, you felt strong and you felt smart and you felt confident and you felt gifted and secure and then something goes down. And then there's a diagnosis or there is a betrayal one day or there is a loss one day and then there is a revelation one day and then one day somebody you love says something you'll never forget. And in a single moment, your whole world gets turned upside down and your dreams are are if not shattered, then for certain derailed. And all of your strengths and all of your skill and all of your gifts and all of your connections that you've worked so hard to make are of no use to you in those moments. And the worst part is that you, you pray, but, but it feels like all you hear is silence that God seems distant and remote and, and you feel abandoned and alone and you, you say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What do you do? What do you do when you're walking in the darkness as Jesus is in this moment and your heart is ripped out and God seems to be silent and the doors of heaven seem to be closed. What do you do? What have you done in the past? I, I think it's true that often what we should do and what we actually do are two different things, yes or no. What do we do when life starts to take a wrong turn? What do we do when, like Jesus is here, we're experiencing our worst day ever? How do we handle it? How are you handling it? Are, are, you, are you just sort of losing it? Are you considering forsaking God because you feel like he's forsaken you? Are you turning your back on him, trying to manipulate situations, trying to manipulate people, lying, cheating? Maybe you reach for a bottle, pills, or some other form of escape. What do you do? Maybe you just retaliate. Maybe you return evil for good or evil for evil instead of evil for good. Maybe you lay down your faith for a while. You put it on pause. You, 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 you lay aside your Christian identity. You just say and do whatever it is you want, saying, hey, well, I'm in pain right now. And, and I'll preach to me right here. This is not the time. That is not the time to throw in the towel. That is not the time to turn your back on God or God's people. Come on, somebody, to try to control your own outcomes. And, and, and I also think it's true, at least in my life, that in those moments, I have to go back to God's word. And remember the bottom line. God always knows what he's doing. And I would say it like this, even when, and especially when it seems like he doesn't know what he's doing. So let me offer some applications, some handles here now. And we're gonna get back into this story in just a second. When the first thing we learn from Jesus here 
in this text that we've just read, the first thing we learn from him is that when we're faced with those big why questions like Jesus is here, what we do, we do is what we did, we do what Jesus did here. We aim our hard questions at God, not at people. So Jesus does this. He says, my God, my God. What does he say next? Why? My God, my God, why? He's pointing his hard question at, at his father, and that's what we should do as well. Look, look, you and I will probably never experience the depth of the anguish that Jesus is feeling here. We won't, for sure, because we're, we didn't, we're not having to do what he did. But, but for anybody who, who's alive and anybody who goes through life, and if you're a follower of Jesus, it, this doesn't, you're, not, you're not exempt from this. You all have these moments, we all have these moments where we wonder, why, God? Why did this happen, and <clears throat> why did this happen now, and, and how did this go down, and, and why did my marriage fall apart, and why did my loved one have to die, and why did I get this diagnosis? Why? And what we find in our text from the example of Jesus is a Savior who has been right there and understands that despair and that, I'll say it this way, that depression, that sense of abandonment, and so we just do what he did, when you're in the middle of a bad day, like, or, or worse, when you feel like your prayers are bouncing back to you from the ceiling, and you feel like you've lost any sort of connection with your heavenly father, and you feel abandoned or forgotten, you aim your hard questions at God and not people. And here's why. In life's darkest moments, there are very rarely any human beings with adequate answers to our why questions. Yes or no? Does everybody, does anybody have all of the answers in your hardest moments? No. Except God. So you aim those at God. There's this place in, <clears throat> in Psalm 142 where the psalmist says, uh, verses one and two, he says, he says, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. Verse two, he says, I pour out my complaints before him. And what we're seeing here is the, 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 Psalter saying, the psalmist saying, aim your hard questions at God. That's what he's doing, right? And, and, and here's the other part of that. You may not get the answer right then, but you can count on two things. Number one, your cries will never fall on a deaf ear. And number two, time Time will always bring an answer that both brings glory to God and is in your eternal best interest. Always, always. Second thing I want you to know after you aim your hard questions at God, not men. The second thing I want you to do in situations like this is to trust his promises. This is the part that keeps us hanging in and hanging on when we feel like we can't. And what that means is that even though Jesus here in this text was forsaken, come on, he was forsaken on the cross, you and I will never be forsaken as he was. You and I will, because he was, we will never have to. And you may feel forsaken, but you aren't because the writer of Hebrews chapter 13, five says, never, come on, say, say it with me, never will I leave you, never will I Never, meaning it is not possible for God to leave you or forsake you, right? And you can be confident that he will carry you through what you're going through all the way through. He will carry you through what you're going through all the way through. 
right? To, 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 so Jude, Jude writes in Jude 1, he says, to him who is able to keep you from what? From stumbling. And then he says, and to present you before his glorious presence. In other words, to keep you and to present you to himself to find you without fault and with, with, with great joy. That's the promise that God is able to keep you and to present you unto himself, and you can trust that. There's this text, I, ha- I don't have it here on the screen. Isaiah 63, and I love the language here. It's a messianic text. It's, it's Isaiah prophesying Jesus' life, and he says, he says, in all their suffering, he says, he also suffered, meaning, The the same things that you and I suffer, he suffered it too. And he personally rescued them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up. And then this beautiful phrase, and he carried them through all of the years. Not just through this moment. Not just through the bad day. He carries us through all of our years. That's the promise of Scripture. You trust his promise. You aim the questions at God. You trust his promise. And then lastly, you trust his nature. And if you can come to know the nature of God, the the character of God, the goodness of God, if you can come to know the nature of God, these other two make much more sense to you as you come to know the nature of God. And I want to spend the last minutes of our time here together unpacking the, the, this story in a little more detail from Mark. And, and to do this, I need to go back one chapter. We were in Mark 15. Now I want to go back one chapter to Mark 14 because this is going to tie it in. They went to a place, Jesus and his disciples, they went to a place called Gethsemane, which is a garden. Uh, I think it's either Luke or Matthew that tell us it's the garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray, to, 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 the, to the 11 that are there right now. Judas has gone out to do what he's going to do. So he takes Peter, James, and John, his kind of closest companions, along with him. And he began to be, say this with me, he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Like this is soul level here. And he says, my soul, to give answer to what I just said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of, it's going to kill me, to the point of death, he said to them. But he goes on, he says, stay here, to Peter, James, and John, and watch. Going a little farther, in in one translation it says, going a stone's throw, so however far you can throw a rock. He, the weight of this moment is so heavy that he falls to the ground, and he prays that if, if possible, the hour, this this thing that's going to happen to him that we've been reading about, that we've been talking about, might pass from him. And then notice these words. Say this word with me. Abba, Father. Two distinct words. Abba, Father. He said, everything is possible for you. So he's, he's, he's saying, I know you could do this if you decide. Take this, take this cup. It's a cup of suffering from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you you will. Meaning I don't really, in my humanity, because Jesus is fully God and he's fully human being. He's not half God. He's not Thor, everybody. Come on, somebody. He's not half God, half man. No, no, no. He's fully God and he's fully man. 
And in his humanity, he's like, I don't really want to do what I got to do, what you're asking me to do. And here he is not long now before Judas is going to show up, not very long at all before Judas is going to come with that contingent of the, of the temple guard. And he's going to be handed over to the, the hands of sinners. And, and he knows all of, that, all of the physical part of this is coming. And, but he also knows there's a significant weight he's going to have to bear on his shoulders, the weight of the sins of all of mankind. The cup of the wrath of God will be his to drink. And this forsaking by his friends and by his family, and most of all by God, is coming. And he knows all of this, and it is deeply distressing and troubling to the extent that he falls down under the weight of it. And so here in the garden, just hours before he's going to go through everything we've been talking about, he, he, he says, Father, Abba, Abba, Papa, Daddy, Papa, Papa, Father. Like both of these words are used. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. The humanity of, of Jesus crying out to the divine, and of course it wasn't possible. It's this reason that he came. A few weeks ago, um, in the life group that I helped uh, lead, we spent one of our, our sessions studying the life of Abraham, and in particular, we narrowed in on the part of Abraham's story where God, the Bible says God tested Abraham. It's a huge word. He tested Abraham. He has no intention to cause him to do what he's testing him with, but he's going to test him to see, is this the guy? right? It's just the guy that I can build everything around. And he says to him, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love. That's what he says to him. Those are the words from Genesis. And, and I want you to take him to another hill, just like the one Jesus is going to walk up, but it's called Moriah, Mount Moriah. And I want you to offer him up as a sacrifice. Now, this is just a test, but Abraham doesn't know that in the moment. He's just like we are in our stories. We don't know how it's going to go down. And so he obeys, and he takes a couple of his servants. They go out. They take a three-day walk. And at the end of the story, and I'm, I'm, I'm summarizing quickly, he puts the wood on the boy's back, the wood that he's actually going to die on. And he says, carry it up this hill. I'll carry the fire. He's got a fire brand and, and the other tools that are needed. And what, what we're reading here, what we're hearing here is that what does it mean to be faithful to God in the darkness, in the brokenness of our lives? And Abraham shows us. Abraham, here he is in this moment on the hill. Son is, is tied down with ropes, right? He's got a knife in his hand to destroy the very thing God promised him. And even now in this moment, in all of the darkness, he somehow believes, he somehow believes, and you can read it in the text. He doesn't believe perfectly. Abraham has never in his whole life believed perfectly. He's deceived, he's feared, he's stumbled his whole way, his whole journey of following God. But still he has this hope that somehow this strange God, that he just hears this voice from heaven this distant God who seemed so remote and terrifying would, would yet turn out to be the very God who spoke to him in love so many years ago when he said, I'll bless you. I'll multiply through you. That somehow in this crazy story we're seeming to read here of bloodshed and death, there would emerge a God who makes impossible promises and keeps them and names them laughter. And when he didn't understand God's plan he trusted God's nature. He keeps hoping even when from a human perspective, hope seems 
absurd. The knife poised to strike for a third time in the story. He hears his name, Genesis 22, 11. Abraham, uh, Abraham, right? But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. He says, here I am. And, and the essence of his response is, I will not run from this moment. I have nowhere else to go. I have nowhere else to hide. I have nothing else to give you. God, you have nothing left to hurt me with that could strike me down like this. Here I am, and God says, do not lay a hand on that boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now, one of the many ironies about this story is that modern-day people will read this and go, see, this is why I don't believe that this is barbaric. Why, what kind of God? Why is this story in the Bible? But you have to understand, Abraham lives in a time, in a world where human sacrifice was practiced routinely all around him. And in his world, this is what they thought the gods, little g, the gods wanted in their anger. There was, now, pay attention, there was no Israel yet. There was no Torah. There was no sacred text. No context at all. Just a voice calling out from above. God is beginning to introduce himself through Abraham to the human race. And part of the whole point of the story is that the practice must be stopped. God loves Isaac just as much as he loves Abraham, right? He loves the whole world. He loves all of his children. He loves you. And this story helps change the culture uh, in their part of the world. And the world begins, begins to understand the heart of God, that there is a God who always has another way. There is a God who will provide another sacrifice to set things right between himself and this broken world. Abraham finds a ram in a thicket that becomes the sacrifice. Abraham begins to understand a little bit of what God will feel someday. Verse 14, so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Now, what Abraham did not know, as Isaac was spared that day, is that there would be a son who would die in Isaac's stead. One day, a son would be sacrificed only. It would be God's only son whom he loved. The heart that would one day be broken would not be Abraham's heart, but it would actually be God's heart. The suffering that would be the greatest the world had ever seen would be, the, would be God's suffering. For Jesus, too, walks up a hill with the wood on his back on which he is to be put to death. Jesus... Like Abraham, like every broken person who has ever had to walk out on that dark road, Jesus would cry out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus was bound, unlike Isaac, when Jesus was bound, no voice cries out to cut the ropes. When, when there's a blade on the tip of a spear pointed at his body, no power holds it back. This time with Jesus, no other sacrifice is provided. This time, the son dies. John 3 says that God gave his son, his only son, whom he loves. So when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus does not just simply feel forsaken. Jesus was 
forsaken. And not only by his disciples and his siblings, but by God himself, because it was God himself who has delivered him over to Judas, to the Jews, to Pilate, and finally to the cross itself. And now when he cried out, God closes his ears. There is a silence from heaven. And all he hears now is the yelling of the crowd. And all he feels now is the pain of the cross and the suffering of abandonment of of those he loved most. In another time, In another place, there was a voice that cried out from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This time there is no voice. No Holy Spirit descending like a dove to assure him of the Spirit's presence and ministry. No angel coming to strengthen him like happens in the garden story that we just read. In fact, this time as as Jesus cries out to his father, we read it in, in, in chapter 15 or 14 where he uses the best of all of the Aramaic words. He uses that word Abba, and you saw that, right? This time he doesn't say Abba, and this time he just uses the word El, God Almighty, Eloi, my God, my God. Like Abraham and Isaac going up Mount Moriah, he and the Father had gone up to Calvary together, but now Abba, Papa, Daddy doesn't see that anymore. Only El, God Almighty, God all holy. And he's hanging there before El now, not as beloved son, but as the sin of the world. That his identity, the character in which he stands and hangs there before absolute holiness. And the cause of the abandonment, the reason that he's forsaken is because he who knew no sin is being made sin for us. He has become sin, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says. He has been numbered with the transgressors, Isaiah said. Jesus utters those same words out of his own mouth. Hanging beside him on either side, he's been numbered with the real transgressors, and no one is coming to advocate for him, and he must bear the weight of all of the sins of the world upon himself, and he's doing this so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. In his death, somehow Jesus is totally absorbing into himself all of the guilt and the penalty of all of the sin for all of the ages. Paul is trying to describe this moment in Romans 8, 32, and he says, he who did not spare his own son This is Paul using eight words to describe the heartbreak of heaven. Can you imagine the father looking at his son in the garden of Gethsemane as Jesus is crying out, Abba, Papa, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But the father cannot spare him. God spares Isaac from the knife in Abraham's hand, but he will not spare Jesus, his only son, from an agonizing death on the cross. Why? because of his great love for you and for me and because someone has to pay that price once and for all for our redemption. So God did not spare his own son. This is love, Paul says. This is the nature of God because I told you we have to trust in the nature of God. And Paul is saying to you and I, how much more could God love us than this that he sent his only begotten son to die the most horrific death possible in that time. The cross 
is the unspeakable. It is the indescribable proof that God is for you, that God loves you. The cross shows us in great detail the very nature of God. And listen, it has nothing to do with your goodness or your worthiness. He says in verse 29 of Romans 8 that, he, that God foreknew us, which means that he loved you long before you were ever born. And I can be secure, and you can be secure in the love of the Father when you're going through your worst days because the, the love of the Father existed before I failed him before I experienced that, that, that failure. And out of that love, he saved me, Romans says, even when I was a sinner, even when I was in my worst. And you are secure in the love of God because his love rested upon you before the foundation of the earth was laid. Before and in full view of all of my failures, God put his love on me and on you. Verse 32, Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? All things. How am I going to get through this moment? How am I going to survive this bad day? How is this possibly going to turn out right? How will he not also along with Jesus, who he did not spare, graciously give us all things. In fact, this is how John would later write, 1 John 3 and 1, how great is the love the Father has, say it with me, has lavished on us, that we should be called, say this, children of God, and that is what we are. Somehow, In the suffering of Jesus comes the healing of the world. So where? Where where do broken people go? When a little advice or when a little positive mental attitude or a little rest and relaxation where where a little human fix-up is not enough, Where do you go? What do you do? You go to the cross. Not once, but every time you go to the cross where God says, now is all my love and all of my heart poured out for the human race on a blood-soaked, sin-stained cross and and an empty tomb. Here is where you find the answers to your life-altering why questions. Here's where you find a God who says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Trust my promises. Trust my character. I will carry you through all that you're going through. I will carry you all the way through, through all of the years. And when it feels like your life is spinning out of control or maybe your dreams are breaking apart, that doesn't mean that your life is out of control. It just means that you're not at the controls. You're not in control, and it's in those times that you can lean in and learn to trust the only one who has ever been in control. God is with you. God is with you. John, Pastor John, God is with you, my brother. God is with you. 
God is with you. And I want to tell you this. Things will turn around one way or another. And maybe not the way you planned. And maybe not the way you assumed God would handle it. Maybe not even the way you hoped. But you will see God at work. If not in your circumstances, then certainly inside your heart. And we know, Paul says in verse 28, and we know that in all things. And we what? We know that in all things, God is at work. God is working. He's working it out for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. He is working it out. All of it. Father, thank you for the words that Jesus utters on that cross. Thank you for the hope they actually bring for us who follow Jesus. Thank you that we can know that you, your word says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And God, there are times when it absolutely feels like you have. But we can know, we can aim our hard questions at you. We can trust in your promises. And we can trust in your nature that you will carry us through all the things, all the way through, through all of the years. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, God, and I thank you for people who have come now, who have never given their hearts to you, who have never bowed the knee, so to speak, at the foot of a, of a cross. I pray that there are people here who would just realize what's been done for them. All of it. For God so loved each one of us that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever would believe, would trust in him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not come into the world to condemn the world. Come on, somebody hear that. For God did not come into the world to condemn it, but through Jesus, he came to save us, to rescue us, to redeem us. And so God, we say like Paul said in Romans 10, that we confess with our mouths that, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we believe in our hearts that you raised him from the dead. We believe that, God. We receive that. And we, we say, come on, say it with me. Jesus Christ is Lord. Say it again. Jesus Christ is Lord. We receive that. Nobody can say that, the Bible says, unless the Spirit gives them the ability to do that. Unless the Father draws them to himself, God. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, we give you praise and honor and glory. Everybody said amen. Thank you guys so much. God bless you. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.